This is a Baby Brunch podcast. You can lower the incidence of cot death by putting kids to sleep on their back without the possibility of blankets covering them, without cushions, etc. in the bed. South Africa has got a long way to go to, to educate parents that sleeping on your back is twice as safe as sleeping on your tummy. This podcast is supported by Epimax Baby and Junior. The range of Epimax Baby and Junior gentle all-purpose emollient moisturizers is an all-day, everyday favorite for babies and children. Give your child a good start to every day by nourishing and protecting their skin with Epimax. Welcome to another Baby Brunch podcast. You actually asked us to talk about this sudden infant death syndrome. You know what? When I got to learn about cot death, I was terrified. I just explained to our two experts that if I was a new mom and I was faced with something like cot death, I would not have known what is happening to me or my little family. And so what we want to do with this podcast and this conversation and this video is to inform you about what it is and always contact your healthcare professional. I don't like Googling things really. So find someone credible that you can speak to that can give you information about this. And thank you also for logging onto this platform to get information around sudden infant death syndrome as well uh, as loosely called cut death, which is a terrible, terrible term. Joining us uh, today is Richard L. Powell. He is in California. Hey, Rich, thank you so much for occupying your sister's house to speak to us today. Thank you. And then Mark Irvin, he's in Cape Town. He's a general pediatrician in Cape Town. Now, just to give you an idea of how we found these experts, an amazing company in South Africa that makes um, a really high-tech baby monitor of some sort. They they contacted me for a podcast and I said to them, there's more to this. I need to know how you did your research. And so I want to thank the team. They actually put us in contact with our two experts today. So in our social media posts, you will find their details of how they've done their research and how they've tried to help many parents, not just in South Africa, but around the world. I'm coming to you from Gauteng. Richard has uh, his MS in both physics and uh, electrical engineering. And as an electrical engineer for 40 years, he specializes in the development of medical grade components for medical devices. We're going to talk to him today about um, infant sleep foundation. We're going to talk to him about um, the syndrome that we've just referenced. Uh, Mark helps many children um, around the country and especially in Cape Town where he practices as a pediatrician. And thank you for your support to moms as well. We really appreciate it. So uh, a warm welcome to both of you. I'm just going to hit it off, and both of you can really contribute to these answers. But cot death, what is it? Why, why is it referred to as sudden infant death syndrome? It feels like something happened, like there's been trauma, and now something something has happened for the death to occur, God forbid. Well, from my understanding <laughs> is that the deaths occur in perfectly healthy babies, and they're totally unpredictable. And that's what makes it so frightening is the fact that you have a perfectly healthy child and no indications of a problem, and suddenly they just perish in the middle of the night. And so they've run lots of they've had done lots of studies to see if there's any way they can predict by taking measurements, monitoring them, looking at their vital signs, and they basically concluded that it's unpredictable. Oh. So that's that's the scary part about it is you you have no warning. It's, it's no warning, and healthy, perfectly healthy childs just pass away. Mark, have you come across this in your practice? Has, has, yeah. Yeah, carry on. Uh, thankfully, 
not not very often. So I think uh, I think that would would be one of the reassuring things for parents. So uh, we're a developing nation, a little bit different from America and Europe, etc. But Kotif, I would say, is 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 a it's a tragic condition where a baby dies suddenly and unexpectedly, and there's two there are two kind of parts to this. The one would be what's considered sudden unexpected death. And then once all the investigations are done, if there's no cause whatsoever to be found, despite lots of looking, then they would call that SIDS. And that's that's a slightly separate separate matter where where nobody's been able to find a cause. Um, but thankfully, you know, I think in, in Europe it's maybe about less than one child per thousand births. And so in my career, I've, I've, I was listening and thinking today, I've only had three or four babies in a 30-year in a career that, that I've had to, to deal with this, thankfully. So I think parents must feel reassured by that. But having said that, this is the commonest cause of death in kids under six months in, in, in Europe and America. Um, in South Africa, as a developing country, we have we have infections and chest infections and other and diarrhea and other problems to worry about in addition to that. So other problems are probably more 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 likely for us. Right, right. I just you know it it's it's very hard to cover a topic where we have to talk about death or loss, and we've covered a few with with this podcast, and it's always really hard to express or to talk about it. You know, you don't want to think about death when you're expecting your baby or when you have a, a, an infant and yet we want to inform parents. So, so how, I mean, how should a child sleep? And, and I, I almost want to ask at what age I am so guilty of this. I mean, we all know that baby does not belong in your bed. They belong in their crib or in a cot. I have put my baby, how many times have my baby fallen asleep on the boob in my bed? And here we yeah. are, you know, we fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and thankfully most babies are fine. Um, but I think people would want to listen to this podcast because it's such a scary topic. And uh, and I think we should also say that that you know this tragic thing that that can happen, parents blame themselves as well. And so if if you're unfortunate that this happens to your baby, you know I think that that. You need to take the message that that is not your fault, and and we should support parents who, who who've had this tragic thing happening to them, and 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 not blame them and help them not to blame themselves, and mm. um, because it's such a tragic and difficult thing, as you say, to talk about. Do do we do we put baby in on their side? Do you do you put them on their backs? You know, so there's very, yeah, there's very good evidence that that the safest sleeping position is flat on your back, and and I think all the European Europeans have shown by by running back to bed and safe sleep uh, 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 campaigns that that you can you can lower the incidence of cot death by putting kids to sleep on their back without the possibility of blankets covering them without without cushions etc in the bed. So so. I think 
South Africa has got a long way to go to to educate parents that that sleeping on your back is twice as safe as sleeping on your tummy. Bridget, you're an engineer, that's, that's, surely. Yeah, I mean, what what do you say? Well, I totally agree with the the sleeping methods. They've come out with a series of different recommendations for making it safer to sleep in the bed. And they came out with these recommendations back in the 1980s and 1990s and formalized them, I think, in the mid-1990s. And they called it the the Safe to Sleep program. And after the introduction of this program, they were able to cut the number of deaths of SIDS by 40%. But what was interesting about this whole campaign was they looked at at all the causes of of, uh, unexpected sudden infant death since the late 1990s. The rate of death has not decreased. So in spite of the education, in spite of the, in spite of the um, safe sleep methods that are used and, and people being educated, the overall death rate hasn't been reduced. And, and like Mark said, it's, it's only like maybe one in 2000. But when you multiply that by, say, a million births a year, depending on your country, like in the U.S., we have about we have about uh, four million births a year. So we end up with four thousand deaths a year. So, yes, it's very it's somewhat rare. But my first cousin, they had a, they lost a child. And, I, and my financial advisor, he lost a child. And it was totally devastating for those families to have that experience. So the question is, OK, we've been able to safely reduce. the We've been able to reduce the number of deaths, but we still have them, even when you do all the things correct. And still small percentage, but still the number one cause of death. So that's the thing. It's still the number one cause of death. Sleeping, dying, babies dying in their sleep occur 20 times more than babies dying in automobile accidents, to put it in perspective. Oh. So it's it's still a big problem, even though it's fairly rare, it's still a big problem. And the other thing is, you know, we have these recommendations. And like with my daughter, when she had her baby, her daughter would not sleep on her back. She just absolutely mm. went up front of back. She'd cry and cry and cry. So she had no option but to put her on her side or put, put her on her stomach. And then I think there's other times with mothers when, you know, you're tired, you're fatigued, you have all sorts of problems and the baby's crying and, you know, you just want to take it to bed with you and sleep and be peaceful. And so it's such a temptation for mothers to take the babies to bed with them, which mm. is also very dangerous, you know, to do that. But still, this is how it's been since time began with mothers, you know, taking their babies to bed with them. And the, the death rate is there, but it's most babies survive. So the question is, what else can you do? And mm. what I've been looking and researching is, well, why don't we monitor these children? I mean, if a baby stops breathing, don't you want to know that it's not breathing? Mm. And so why not monitor the infant? And there's products out there that are coming out there on the market that will tell you if one, the baby stopped breathing or if he is becoming low on blood oxygen. And there's two different types of uh, approaches on whether you want to monitor the blood oxygen or whether you want to monitor the ble- breathing. But in either case, if a critical situation comes out and you're a mom and you're scared and you're feared, don't you want to know if your baby has stopped breathing so you have an opportunity to try to revive that baby? And that's, mm-hmm. that's, I think that's the big question that mothers have to ask for themselves is, do you want to be notified? I think the big question that I want to ask myself is just, can I not just be a mom without having to monitor things and, 
You know, when we're pregnant, we don't realize the, the intricacy and the responsibility that parenting comes with. And this is not to deter or to scare anyone from becoming a parent. It's still the most wonderful thing that has ever happened to me. And thank God my babies were all in my bed and that they're all not fine right now. But ah, it's so hard. It is so hard to talk about it. But I hear what you're saying, Richard. I, 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 yes, the answer is yes. I would, I would want to know if, and, and the truth is we had a monitor and then at some stage we realized it was never working. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I guess you want to also understand how these devices work. Okay. So well, you have to have, so, a good, you have to have a good monitor, a good monitor yeah. that's reliable, that's preferably that's medically qualified as a good monitor. As a good monitor. We, we've talked about prevention and, and how babies should sleep. I mean, how do we, Doctor? How how do we in, educate parents? I mean, Mark, when 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 you see babies, um, when they're just born and you're checking all the 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 vitals and, I mean, do you send them home with a message? I don't remember. I just wanted to know that my kid's fine. You know, my my youngest was prim and off we went. Yeah, so I think you would have been lucky that that you had more time with the doctor. You know, uh, so. You, if you have a normal delivery, three days later, the medical aid says goodbye. Uh, it's time for you to leave now. Uh, I think when I was born, uh, uh, mom spent 10 days in, in in hospital learning how to feed their kid and, and learning what's going on. So so there's very little 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 time to, to mm. learn all these things. So then you thrust out the door with a with a with a little baby. And so I think education is important. I, I think they should watch things like your podcast. And, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you're lucky with a pediatrician, you're going to get half an hour of his, of his time. And you just can't learn everything during, during that time. And, but, yeah, things like education, educating yourself with, a, with, with watching a podcast like, like this, learning that, mm. you know, uh, if, we, if I reiterate, the baby should sleep on its back, Shouldn't have its head covered. Don't use cushions. Don't sleep on a couch with a baby. Avoid cigarette smoke. Those things are important. And I agree, And you know, uh, that past a certain, a certain number of things, then you, you're stuck with there's not much else you can, you can do. And cotton, right. unfortunately, does continue to happen. So, so it continues being, being something scary in the back of your mind. And, and I I agree that an, an apnea monitor uh, gives you gives you peace of mind that, mind, that sure. if something happens. So so I think that's 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 good. How do I ask this without offending anyone? So so you've loaded your cot with teddy bears and blankets, yeah, and baby yeah. suffocates. Is that still considered cot death? Like so I think. Uh, I think first world countries have much better death investigate investigation. So South Africa will be getting up to speed to 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 come and interview the parents and have a look at the cot, etc. Um, but sometimes it's very very difficult to decide. You know, you, I mean, tragically, sometimes you might find the baby stuck between the the, mm. the the positioning cushion and the side of the cot, and they can't breathe. But sometimes you're not gonna you're not gonna know. So and um, it's 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 sometimes difficult to know 
what what actually caused caused the problem. And um, but the best thing is to do the best you know how. Can. And and uh, and there's very good evidence that if you look at if you look at first world countries how they've been able to reduce the the rate of cot death and make babies safer um, up to a point. Okay, so so first world country, <laughs> Richard, I. I'm interested now. So, so having researched this now, uh, you probably have a strong case now of that that monitoring is preventative. So, wh when when do we start using a monitor? When do we? How do we know that it is a good one? What do we look out for? Um, there's medical grade monitors, but usually those need prescriptions from the doctor. Um, there's some companies out there who make good medical grade monitors, but the problem is. Anything with a wire is, is a liability because liars, wires become a strangulation issue. So you want, first of all, you want something that's wireless. So the three basic types they have that are wireless are they have the pads that go underneath the mattress. They're the um, ones that attach the diaper that, attach, that, that measure, monitor the diaphragm. And then there are ones that attach to the foot that, uh, that monitor the uh, blood oxygen saturation, the SpO2. So those three types are good because they're wireless and they don't interfere with the baby's movement or anything like that. And, but you need still need to find ones that are safe and reliable. Um, so I, I think those are the things you want to look for that, that if they have, if they have been um, qualified as medical grade uh, products, then, then that's an advantage. Um, uh, some, because depends on where they're being qualified, us or Europe, um, things are much more difficult in the U.S. than are in Europe. So some products are qualified in Europe, but not in the U.S. Right. Um, but they're still good products. It's just that the the administration of these products, the American medical establishment has been taken the has taken the position that monitoring they recommended not to monitor, and their studies are their recommendations are based on studies done in the 1980s um, with out good modern equipment. So these were big machines that had all these complicated wires that required a medical technician to come out and set it up. And so they made this recommendation back in the, starting in the 1980s, and they've continued with that rec recommendation through today, even spite of all the advances in technology and, and uh, monitoring. Um, and they've disregarded, and they haven't done any more studies to see, well, maybe these new technology would actually be useful because now they're easy to use, they're less expensive. And and uh, so, so my um, frustration is the fact that they haven't taken another look at that and they sort of stuck to their, their judgment based on technology that is to, you know, obsolete by today's standards right. and studies that didn't include new types of measurements. What's the upside of that? I mean, if we, if we look at, uh, I mean, you're a scientist, but if, if we had to look at uh, a home scenario with a mom and dad, or a mom and a mom and a dad and a dad, and they have a baby, um, we have practically talked about a nappy or even something stuck to the foot. What do you what do you actually look out for when you do go to a shop in South Africa and you're looking for a monitor? I mean, you would probably want to have the best medical equipment to support your family and to to just know, you know, other than leaning over the crib, which is what I did. <laughs> right. and, you know, I had an interesting talk with my mother last night because I told her that we were going to do this, this podcast. And she says, she, she missed me. Oh, I was so, I was so scared. And, you know, I'd watch him very, watch you very carefully. And I'd, you know, it was hard for me Tell to sleep. Her, that's and so, me. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so I think though, but to answer your question, I think it's very hard to go into a store and find the product. I think you actually have to go, and it's difficult for parents to go online and research this and see research products and basically go look at a product, look at the reviews, look at the comments to what people have said about it, you know, and you can see like some products, you can find all sorts of reviews and good testimonials about how well, how effective it's been for their, for their, for their use. So that's that's probably the best thing. Find a monitor, but research it and see how it uh, is reviewed and see how parents have liked it. Mark, you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I think with any product, you know, you've got to know that if you're going to use this product, it's going to go off. So when I see in prem babies home who had preterm babies at increased risk and with a with a baby monitor, I said, I say you, you must be prepared that this thing is going to go off and there's going to be nothing wrong with your child. Right. So everything has a plus and a minus. So you've got to you've got to you've got to be prepared to get out of bed when there's an alarm and put the light on and and check that the baby's okay and then go back to go back to sleep. So everything is going to have uh, uh, false false positives. And if you if you're going to use that technology, then you've got to be prepared to do to do to do that. And and I think that's worth it for me. It is, me, yeah, know. for me. If the baby's small and at risk, and um, but personally, the the I don't send kids home with the with the monitor where they lie on the plate, uh, because I find that that the, the the false positive gets gets too high for me. So right. so so do your research, have a look, see what the see what the reviews are. But if the child's going to roll the plate the whole time. Uh, then you're going to spend your night uh, uh, wake, waking up to roll the child back onto the onto the plate. Uh, then, then that's not going to do it for me. I would, I would think. Just back to SIDS itself. I mean, it's it's not instantaneous, right? So they don't just stop breathing. Um, is it? It does it occur over over several minutes or hours? Does this give me time as a parent to jump up, resuscitate my kid, practice the first aid that I learned while I was pregnant, um, sorry, sorry. and 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 practice this with with my child? Does it happen yeah, instantaneously? That's the hope. Uh, that's the hope that we can make a difference with that. But uh, as Richard was saying. There are no huge medical medical trials. In something that only happens sort of, you know, one in 2,000 babies, you've got to do a huge trial with, with 10,000 kids to, to, to prove to the world or prove to doctors who are real skeptics that, that, that the mathematics shows that it, that it works. So we don't have mm. trials like that. But if you look at how kids get sick, et cetera, I, I think – some of some of these conditions, things are going to happen instantly, and and hopefully right. can make a difference. In South Africa, part of the education, and not really sits part of sudden sudden unexplained infant death, rather, is that the child is unwell. So we also need to learn about what are the signs that my child is not right. You know, if you have a baby mm. under three months of age and they have a fever. And you don't wait three days before you go and go and take the child to the doctor. And mm. uh, if the baby's under three three months old and is breathing fast, you know, normal breathing is forty breaths a minute. 
fast breathing is 60 breaths a minute, mm. you don't give a baby, a baby under three months old who's breathing fast. Or if mm. a small baby like that is floppy and doesn't want to feed, then mm. that's an emergency. You need to go you need to go and go and look for care. And so I think for, for our country, people must be aware of, of, of that too. You just said what something you, really valuable that 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 I remember doing with with my prem baby, and I mean at the time I I was paranoid, but better preventative than you know having mm-hmm. to cure, and and I remember having her at the the local clinic every week to just make sure, and she was perfectly fine, and I was just really scared, but it gave me such reassurance to know that the baby's fine, um, and that she's growing, you know. But you just made a really valuable point that that. We, it, it will give us a responsibility just like we have to look after our own health, you know, and, and gym and drink enough water that, that when it comes to baby, we don't wait till the last minute before we react on, on baby's health, you know. They're not guinea pigs. They're, they're our babies. And, and uh, I also say this because we just did a, a, a podcast on, um, on mental health and, and on post-natal um, uh, post, uh, depression that you kind of – don't want to do this on your own, that you want a buddy there to make sure that you are taking care of yourself and around baby as well in case you Absolutely. are Absolutely. The, the baby clinic is a good place to go to get breastfeeding advice, to get some some help, to be able to complain about your husband when he doesn't wake up at night. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and to weigh the baby and see the baby's gaining weight. I, you know, every now and then yeah. I'm surprised to see a baby for the six-week checkup and they're really scrawny and small, and the parents haven't realized that there's a problem. Whereas if you went for the weighing every week, you uh, you know, for the first six weeks or so, then you, you, you somebody would be able to pick up the problem and help you. Um, one, I totally agree that the false alarms is one of the major disadvantages of monitoring, and it does cause a lot of stress, you know, so it's just kind of a trade-off. And, and the other thing I wanted to comment about was your question about whether or not there's time to revive uh, because are these deaths instantaneous? It looks like to me, all the evidence points to the fact that these are not instantaneous deaths. In most cases, it appears, and these are from past studies, old studies. The number one study was this study called the CHIME study done back in the 1990s where they had both pulse oximetry and cardiorespiratory monitoring on the infants. And they found that in most cases, when they had a critical life-threatening event like a slow heart rate or low or, or, or stopping breathing, they found mm-hmm. that they were hypoxic prior to these events, meaning that they had low blood oxygen preceded these life life-threatening events. Right. So they, so they were sick already. Studies. They they were yes. they were okay. And then the other thing is, if they do stop breathing, they've got about ten minutes before they die. So if you can detect that they stop breathing, you've got 10 minutes to do something. So in mo- all cases, in both cases, sometimes if it's a slow hypoxic type of condition, there may be hours. But if it's a uh, spontaneous stop of breathing, 10 minutes. But what's interesting about this back to sleep program is, the, uh, the safe to sleep program is, it, it improved the situation. It stopped babies from dying. And so you ask, well, why did this work? And the reason why it worked was it, it allowed baby infants to breathe more easily and to get fresh air. So it's all about oxygen intake. So most likely the cause of death is lack of oxygen intake. Right. And this is something else that can be monitored. 
So all the evidence points to the fact that this is a gradual situation that can be monitored, that can be responded to in a critical event that can then be used to intervene and save the baby. I want to end with this. Richard, you, you're the electrical engineer. You understand medical equipment. Um, we're all going to get one now <laughs> because we, we want to make sure that is there, is there any last points that you want to raise in this podcast to parents and perhaps to people that were wondering, you know, we, we want to prevent uh, sudden unexpected infant death. Um, if it means that we, we need to equip ourselves with, with, with medical equipment or, or any kind of research, then I think we've got a strong case to feel like we've done everything, you know, or that we've done the most. And so we want to, we want to put everyone, uh, we want to give reassurance. And so I want to, I want to ask you your last words. Uh, is there anything that you would like to add to this conversation, please? Well, I think it's definitely important to follow the guidelines for safe sleep. I mean, that's probably one of the best things that parents can do. If they decide that they need a monitor, then they should research it and look for reviews on, on how people have responded to it. And it gives you this reassurance that if something does go wrong, that you're warned, but it's not recommended by the medical establishment. So we have to take that into consideration. Mark, what would you like to end with? This has been probably one of our most insightful chats. I, I must tell you, I have goosebumps. Mark? I think I think in South Africa, there's still a lot we can do to make babies safer to sleep. So, so you know, being aware of what what a sick baby looks like um, and and following what they've done in the rest of the world with with safe sleep practices, putting the baby back to sleep, back back to bed on their on their backs, not covering covering their heads, not overdressing them, staying away from cigarette smoke. So all of those things are go are going to be useful. But the bottom line is if it happens to you, it's it's a, it's a tragedy. And 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 once more I want to pick up the thing about blame. You know, this is an unexpected mm. thing that unfortunately happens to some parents. And I don't want those parents to come away thinking I did something wrong or, wrong. or whatever. Mm. You know. Okay. I, I, I wanna thank both of you for your time. I I think you have a really, really wonderful job to help so many people. Richard, thank you for your your 40 years of research that you gave us in five minutes. <laughs> we appreciate <laughs> thank you for inviting me. so much. All the way from California, Richard L. Powell, if you want to follow him. And Mark Irvin, thank you so much for the work that you do to for, as a pediatrician, but for parents, you know, it, thank you for being calm and for giving us reassurance and, and even talking about blame because it's a big thing for us, guilt and blame. Ah. Oh. The two things that we can, we just can't get enough of it. So thank you so much for your time. My name is Ilana Afrika Bredenkamp. This was uh, a chat about sudden infant death syndrome, but also about you. We hope that you feel supported and that you never feel alone. Follow more of our podcasts on babybrunch.co.za. Thanks for your time. This podcast was supported by Epimax Baby and Junior. Epimax Baby and Junior is dermatologist approved, free of artificial colorants and fragrances, and is safe to use from birth. Touch, nourish, love your child's skin with Epimax Baby and Junior. Available from leading pharmacies and retail stores.